Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, the fine line on compromised data. But there's a difference between having your data being held by a third party being leaked versus you've been compromised and leaked. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Georgia CTO Steve Nichols is leaving state government after 20 years. Nichols, who joined the Georgia Technology Authority in 2002, is joining the consulting firm Gardner and focusing on their state and local practice. Nichols helped usher in Georgia's IT broker of services model, which has since been repeated by many states. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is releasing a guide to digital threats facing state and local officials. The guide aims to help election administrators and their staffs protect themselves against threats including phishing, ransomware, email scams, DDoS attacks, and more. Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy is creating a new statewide broadband office to help the state coordinate and accept funding from the federal government. The new office will help residents in rural regions afford the premiums that they're charged for reliable internet service. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll find links in today's show notes. The Ransomware Task Force says the clip of incidents affecting local government and health organizations in the United States appears to have slowed. The group contains roughly 60 tech industry and public sector cyber experts and says that the more than 60 documented attacks on local governments, schools, and hospitals compares with about 150 over the same time period last year. Alan Liska, ransomware sommelier and analyst at Recorded Future who tracks attacks against the public sector, tells StateScoop's Benjamin Freed about the perceived decline in ransomware attacks against state and local governments. What we can say is that through the end of July, there have been 93 publicly reported ransomware attacks against state and local governments. Uh, That is compared to 201 in all of 2021. So we're, we're, we're on track for, um, for, for fewer than what we saw in 2021, still likely more than what we saw overall in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and there may be a few reasons for that. Um, one is 2021 was just a really, really bad year for ransomware all the way around. Um, you know, I've I joked, and I think I've joked with you before, that if you go back all the way to January of 2017, you can find headlines saying that previous year was the year of ransomware. Well, 2021, I think, actually was the year of ransomware, just in terms of the devastation and the number of attacks and and so on. And and it may be that attacks are slowing down. It could also be that there are fewer attacks being reported. We just don't really know for sure what that answer is and, and why that's happening. You know, and the other possibility we'd be looking at is We do notice that there are trends of attackers moving away from targets in like the United States and Canada, where there tends to be really good reporting and into other parts of the world where there may not be as good reporting. Right. Uh, But when you're talking about, you know, the reporting, I mean, when you're doing your research, you're going off of what is publicly disclosed by the by by the organizations themselves, what you're seeing uh, in in your own uh, the the analysis that you're doing at Recorded Future, and also what shows up on on leak sites. But um, 
you said to me a, a little while ago that that we've maybe become a little too reliant on 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 what the leak sites are are, are putting up. Um, is there uh, you know is there is there a reason for that? So scraping leak sites and getting information off of them is relatively easy. Um, I mean, it's not super easy, but it's still relatively easy. That's the idea behind the leak sites is it's supposed to be able to publicly shame uh, victims. So having that data out there has become kind of a crutch for researchers as far as a measurement of the number of ransomware attacks, whether they're going up and down or up or down. But what we're seeing is we're seeing a, a disconnect between what's happening with ransomware attacks and what's appearing on, on leak sites. So Lockbit's a great example. Uh, Valerie Markive, a researcher out of France, did a great analysis of Lockbit. And Lockbit will post ancillary victims to their extortion site. So what I mean by that is they will post, you know, you know they'll hit one victim. So let's say that, you know, they hit uh, uh, an HR company um, and that HR company has a number of clients. Well, sometimes they will take some of the bigger clients of that HR company and call those out as separate victims, even though those companies themselves were never hit by the ransomware, it just there happens to be data there. So they'll call them out. And and what uh, Valerie uh, discovered is that almost a third of the victims listed on the Lockbit um, extortion site weren't actually hit by ransomware. They just happened to be mentioned in data stolen from other companies. Now, it's still really important. Like if you have your HR data leaked on the Lockbit extortion site, you probably want to do something about that. But there's a difference between having your data being held by a third party being leaked versus you've been compromised and leaked. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to actually then get back to what you said about the fact that, you know, maybe hackers or maybe, maybe, Ransomware gangs are moving away from the U.S. and Canada, where there are stronger reporting laws. You told me recently that while, while the U.S. is maybe relatively better than than other places at reporting, at reporting, we're still not great. It seems like a lot of we, a lot of governments, state governments, federal government, have made some moves toward putting in stronger requirements, victims of, of ransomware attacks, to acknowledge those incidents. Uh, but where would you say we are in, in that journey? Yeah, so we, we've seen that, one, at the national level, we know that there's a concerted effort to make sure that um, uh, government agencies and government contractors um, and, and members, uh, uh, companies that are considered critical infrastructure have reporting requirements in place. Now, that's not the law yet, but that is kind of what we're moving toward. Um, and then at the local level, we've seen laws passed in North Carolina and Georgia, uh, and it appears there are laws in the works in at least New York, Texas, California, and probably some other states that I'm missing. Um, 
And and so now these laws only apply to generally state and local governments and other public entities, so schools, things like that. They don't broadly ap apply to all businesses. Um, but since that's what we're talking about, um, you know, th then you know, then that makes you know that makes sense. And it is going to become kind of a hodgepodge of reporting. Do you have to report at the national level, at the state level? Who do you report to? And then you have to get to the point of what qualifies as an incident. So if a ransomware actor, actor gains initial access, but then you stop them before they're able to steal anything or before they're able to encrypt, do you count that as a reportable offense? And, and I don't know that we have clarification on that. The way that some of these laws are written, I don't know that they, um, I, I don't know that they fully understand how complex a ransomware attack is and where reporting should come in and where it shouldn't come in and, and so on. So I think we still have a ways to go before we've clearly defined how these reporting, how, how reporting has to work. If you were drawing up the rules, do you have an idea of how, how it should work? Well, one other thing about these laws that I'm not a fan of, and you know that I'm a researcher, so take what I say with a grain of salt here, is that the reporting is, you know, to the the, the state government, and then there's no public, no requirement to publicly share that data. And 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 I don't mean that every researcher needs to know every, you know, every detail of every incident that gets reported there, but not sharing the data. Um, and in fact, North Carolina uh, includes a, an exception for FOIA. So basically it's not FOIAble. So, so, you know, journalists can't reach out, researchers can't reach out and say, hey, how many uh, uh, ransomware attacks were reported last year? Um, or they can reach out and ask, but the state doesn't have to share that information. So the state gets that information, but then nobody else does. So nobody else actually has that view, including other states, including the federal government and so on and so forth. So where, if I were to design a law, I'd want to clearly define what an incident is. And I, wanted, would, I would want to expand this beyond ransomware um, with with sort of categories of things that need to be uh, reported, and if you stop an attack, great, don't report it. Um, although if you did report that, it could help other state and local, you know, could help other local governments in that state or around the country if it had a certain phishing lore or they went after a certain exploit. Like all of that, I think would be really useful. But I also know a lot of local governments, especially, are already overwhelmed. So adding reporting requirements on anything like that, especially if they stop an attack early, is an extra burden that we'd be putting on them. Um, but at the very least, you want to report if data was stolen and if, if yeah. data was encrypted. You, you at least want that. And you want to provide enough detail that, again, that information is actionable to other cities and towns in the state and ideally around the country. Sort of the function that the MSI SAC serves, but there's no reporting requirement to the MSI SAC. So if states could get that data and then share that, whether it's through the MSI SAC or through something else, then that helps. I mean, the goal is not to punish a town, a city or town for getting hit with ransomware. The goal is to understand 
who's hitting these cities and towns, how they're hitting them, what they're doing while they're in there, and then getting that protection information out to the rest of the, uh, you know, to the rest of the, the, the states, counties, and cities in the, uh, in, at least in the state, if not the country. Imagine, you know, th- you know these, these requirements are, you know, at least they're, they're written, nominally written in the spirit of having more information about the, the scope of the threat uh, will benefit everybody else, right? Right. It does seem like there, there are still a lot of uh, big question marks hang, hanging over all of it, uh, especially, I think, when you talk about attacks that are stopped, uh, things that are, that are mitigated before, before causing any damage, you know, your numbers, uh, uh, you, the number of att- attacks that you've counted, I think are, they're, they're in addition to being very reliable, there are other companies, other organizations that try to get numbers on ransomware attacks where the numbers seem far greater, far, far more frequent um, than what you've counted. Does the fact that there's so much discordance um, among you know, various you know, counts of, of, of cyber attacks, does that make things uh, trickier? Uh, absolutely. You know, I mean, we all have different views into the world of ransomware. So if you're a company like Mandiant, for example, and you conduct a lot of incident response after uh, attacks, you're going to have a, a very different view than the rest of the world, but it's a view that you can't share. Um and so because of NDAs and other things that are in place, so you can't actually, you know, give out those numbers the way that we can because we're pulling only from public sources. Uh, same thing if you are an endpoint company. I mean, we see Sophos release uh, information all the time about the number of ransomware attacks. Um and Sophos is doing that based on uh, based on uh, endpoint analysis. Um, uh, so, how many have they seen? You know, how many different types of ransomware have they stopped? So they're they're again they're seeing a, a, a different view, but it does make for kind of an incohesive picture because when you Google. How many ransomware attacks were there in 2021? You'll get some number between 2,700 and 3 million. Well, that's too broad of a number to be useful or too broad of a range to be useful. Kind of a, a complicated process to get a, a grasp on a grasp on the full picture. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's it's very complicated and we're just not making it easy on ourselves. We're going to wrap up now, but you, you've done some work with the, you've been working with the the ransomware task force people. Uh, for the past year and a half, right? I have, yes, yes. How do you, how do you think uh, that that project has has progressed and has it made a difference? I think so. I mean, it, 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 they've done a few things that I think are really good. Um, you know, one kind of taking some of these same points that I've been shouting out in the wind about the challenge of data collection and reporting requirements and so on, and putting that into a cohesive analysis. Um, which I think has been fantastic. Uh, and also offering some practical advice for, for smaller businesses. You know, the, the, we, we see ransomware continually, continually going down, um, downward in terms of their targets. So they're not just going after the, you know, fortune 3000 or 5,000 anymore. They're, they're going after the, 
local real estate shop or the local dentist office or the car dealership. Um, uh, um, and, and, and these are these can sometimes be sizable businesses, but they don't get the same kind of attention. Um, and they still often don't have the ability to have dedicated security staff um, to, to manage and protect their networks. So offering this kind of like the recent report that came out, hey, how, if I'm a small business, how can I secure myself from ransomware? I think that that is a really, really valuable service. And then, of course, all of the work they've been doing with, with various government agencies and CISA uh, and, and, and so on um, is, is very helpful in terms of the recommendations. So it is nice to see you know, kind of kind of actionable guidance coming from, you know, some some experts in the field across a number of country companies. That's Alan Liska from Recorded Future. You can read more about ransomware attacks against the public sector at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.